Hello, and welcome again to another conservative historian podcast. This one entitled, Are We Getting Dumber? The date, September 2022, and my name is Bell Avis. I was thinking about launching this podcast with Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, but after the Declaration and Constitution, this being the third most important document within the American historical canon, that document is... Well, it's kind of stacking the deck. So instead, I'm beginning with a a simple letter from Lincoln to one of his constituents, one of the hundreds written by the 16th president. Quote, Your very kind and acceptable letter of the 19th was duly handed me by Mr. Tuck. It is indeed most grateful to my feelings that the responsible position assigned me comes without conditions, save only such honorable ones as are fairly implied. I am not wanting in the purpose, though I may fail in the strength to maintain my freedom from bad influences. Your letter comes to my aid in this point most opportunely. May the Almighty grant that the cause of truth, justice, and humanity shall in no wise suffer at my hands. Unquote. But, okay, using Lincoln is, is like using Michael Jordan as a typical example of a basketball player, and then lamenting why Jimmy and Gus playing shirts and skins at the local Y, seems so much less effective than Jordan in the 1990s. So let's not use the uneducated Lincoln. Instead, let's use an obscure member of Congress, a Democrat from the South whose subject is the lack of seriousness, in his opinion, that the Republicans at the time are taking on the threat of secession. Quote, There is the strangest skepticism in the minds of Republican members. They do not yield that there is any danger, and until we convince them of this, we have not taken the first step to save the Union. In this curious state of things, the very conservatism of the border states, Virginia, North Carolina, Kentucky, and Tennessee, does harm instead of good. The first prudential measure resolved upon, the Committee of 33, has failed at once by the stupid appointments of the Speaker. Nevertheless, there is some hope that even if the Gulf states go out, we can reconstruct the government. To do this, the whole 15 southern states should at once withdraw, adopt the present constitution with some small amendments, and appeal to Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and New York to come with us. This would probably bring back the whole, unquote. And what about a savage, rustic figure, that of Andrew Jackson, who, like Lincoln, lacked the formal education afforded many of the governmental class at that time? Quote, I have avoided writing on the subject of which your letter treats from an apprehension that sometimes my letters might incautiously be thrown into the papers and that it might be inferred that I was seeking after my own advancement. It was on this account that I forbore oftentimes to reply to letters on the subject of the presidential election, content for those results to take place which my country might be satisfied with. I assure you in the same candor which you have spoken that with whatever decision the nation may pronounce, I shall be satisfied. My name has been presented to the public, and that presentation as you, I am sure will believe, was without any procurement of mine." Unquote. So this was a sampling of typical letters, again, not some grandiose speech from different parts of the Republic, albeit one of which Lincoln, I tended to agree with his views, and the other, the Southerner, 
completely find a little reprehensible because what he's talking about is secession and the withdrawal of the Constitution. But what is interesting is, is, is that all three cases, including two who did not receive formal education, sound so educated. They sound so eloquent. They sound so incisive and well thought out. Now let's contrast that with some of the leaders of our republic today. Key Democratic influencer, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I think that there's a lot of people more concerned about, well, being precisely, factually, and semantically correct than being morally right. And there's scientific consensus that the lives of children are going to be very difficult, and it does lend young people to have a legitimate question. Is it okay to still have children? Vice President Kamala Harris. And I, I really like this word salad. We must together, work together, to see where we are, where we are headed, where we are going, and our vision for where we should be. But also see it as a moment to, well, yes, together, address the challenges and to work on the opportunities that are presented by this moment, unquote. And so Ukraine, it's a country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. So basically that's wrong and it goes against everything that we stand for. Unless we think this is a left-wing phenomenon, here is an example of Senator Josh Hawley's, uh, well, commentary during the Supreme Court hearing of Judge Kentunchi Brown-Jackson, just days before her Supreme Court confirmation hearings began. Hawley said, Judge Jackson has a pattern of letting child porn offenders off the hook for their appalling crimes, both as a judge and as a policymaker. She's been advocating for it since law school, and this goes beyond soft on crime. I'm concerned that this is a record that endangers our children. Now, this stuff is intense and more than a little ridiculous and a misreading of Contenche Brown Jackson's opinions. But the whataboutery school would say, well, worse was done to Bork, Thomas, Alita, and Kavanaugh, to which I would say correct. But as a child, I was taught the concept that two wrongs do not make a right. I cite this because the Supreme Court is a sterling example of where the left has been pushed back, conservatives triumphant in retaking a vital institution, but it was not done by aping the base and underhanded tactics of the left. It was done through planning and discipline. Because 20 years ago, when George W. Bush administration began piling up lower court justices and Mitch McConnell had the temerity to pick his moments and Trump, using the saner courses of his mind, was choosing better justices. That's how you beat the left. But I digress. My point here was to contrast the comments from the leaders of our republic today with those of leaders of the 19th century and intentionally picking two of them who did not, unlike, well, everybody I just quoted, have truly a formal education. We're not talking even high school diplomas, much less college and master's degrees and law degrees, which almost all of our leaders possess today. And speaking of Trump, is it too much to ask that a person who described himself as a stable genius summon the intelligence necessary to keep his businesses solvent, he has filed for bankruptcy four times, and beat 
beat the mentally challenged Joe Biden and the aforementioned Harris, which he failed to do. And of course, there is Biden himself, current holder of the office of president. Even Barack Obama famously quipped that we should never underestimate the power of Joe to F things up. Before Biden was old, he was dumb and stupid, but it has gotten worse. I could fill an entire podcast with Bidenisms, but I will leave you with this one. Quote, you had to put on your windshield wipers to get literally the oil slick off the window, Biden said, recalling how nearby refineries soiled his childhood neighborhood in Delaware. That's why I and so damn many other people I knew grew up and have cancer, unquote. That was that was news that kind of hit the media. Biden actually has cancer. Of course, he doesn't. That's because the man can barely put a word or a sentence together these days. Uh, then again, 30 years ago, he could barely do it either. That's why he would usually plagiarize many of his speeches or simply make up things, such as where he was in his law class, out of pure whole cloth. But one of the growing laws of the conservative historians is that in politics, Timing counts for a lot. Biden would not have been top of the ticket if there had been one decent alternative candidate. Before Joe ascended in late 2020, the Dems tried and omitted a host of dummies. There was Eric Swalwell. There was Harris herself, Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg. Another who, like Bill Clinton, makes me question the efficiency of the whole Rhodes Scholar thing. And it was actually radical dummy Bernie Sanders who was leading. And when James Clyburn threw the weight of black Democratic South Carolina behind Biden, only then did he come back. And this is the guy who Trump could not beat. Arguably, the two most intelligent, smart people in recent government should have been Rhodes Scholar, there it is again, William Jefferson Clinton and the too cool for school Barack Obama of Columbia University, of whom close advisor Valerie Jarrett said of him, quote, I think Brock knew that he had God-given talents that were extraordinary. He knows exactly how smart he is. He knows how perceptive he is. He knows what a good reader of people he is. And he knows that he has the ability, the extraordinary, uncanny ability, to take a thousand different perspectives, digest them, and make sense out of them. And I think that he has never really been challenged intellectually. So what I sensed in him was not just a restless spirit, but somebody with extraordinary talents that had to be really taxed in order for him to be happy. He's been bored to death his whole life. He's just too talented to do what ordinary people do, unquote. I love how in this, this phraseology, she uses the term extraordinary, not once, but three different times. And my God, is she talking about Barack Obama, the man, or some sort of like angel handed down from heaven? And so exactly what did this mental colossus do with these godlike gifts? Make healthcare worse? He made the deficit worse? He made immigration worse? And frankly, put a spike into any chance of a post-race society. Now, effective popular presidents have usually been able to put their successors in their seats. Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, Andrew Jackson, Teddy Roosevelt, and Ronald Reagan all were able to designate their successors, put their popularity behind those people, and get them elected. Obama 
Remember, the God-given, talented Obama could not do it against Donald Trump. And if this is the smartest we have, my God, is the bar shockingly low. So the conclusion is that our leaders are, well, dumber than their 19th century counterparts. I would reline that into two different categories. First, we are actually not dumber given the amount of information we have to process. More on that later. That would have probably sent tough guy Jackson into a fetal position if he had to process all of the information that we do. Instead, I would argue, our education is wrong-headed. And second, it is a matter of perspective. Before he went solo, Sean Hannity hosted a sort of firing line type program called Hannity and Combs, in which he would nightly debate liberal Alan Combs. Hannity was fast, agile, and quick. Yet watching him today is laborious. He talks slowly. His points are incredibly redundant, as are his shows. There are about three topics, and he returns to them night after night after night. Maybe to simple aging, but Hannity's not that old. But I think the reality is that Hannity is reading his room. He talks slowly so his, well, relatively older audience can keep up. Like so much of the media discourse today, it is that the opinion commentators are not thought leaders, but instead trying to anticipate what the audience wants and how they want it, rather than things that might be interesting to hear. I would argue that 19th century leaders were keen to bring their audiences along, more like teachers, well, than advertising executives. Was the country ready for complete emancipation for the 13th Amendment in 1863? The point of the Gettysburg Address was to begin that process. It was to begin the thought process of having African Americans live alongside and free the white race both in South and the North. That is is where Lincoln was angling when he began to talk about things like a new birth of freedom. Lincoln was leading. When looking at one of the most influential conservative populists of the past 30 years, Rush Limbaugh, one realizes how much the 1990s Rush loved things like free markets, open competition, personal liberty, and a prizing of individual virtue. Rush was leading. Yet, if you listen to the last three or four years of Rush, they were drastically different. You could almost see him trying to gauge his audience. They like Trump, so I will as well. Even though Trump's opposition to trade deals and favoritism to certain companies was actually against Rush teachings from 1994. What has definitely gotten dumber is the response to crises our current political leaders exhibited. Biden's Inflation Reduction Act clearly has nothing to do with inflation and is so obviously a handout to green constituencies that many Democrats do not even mention inflation in its defense. Like Trump's Stop the Steal campaign, in which his own attorney general, members of his own staff, 61 judges, many appointed by Trump, and his own, loyal to a fault up to that point, vice president, all rejected the claim. And keep in mind, everybody I just mentioned are Republicans. Now, all politics should at some level reflect the people's will. We are a republic after all. Yet, that should be balanced with a common set of principles. Polls are acceptable. 
and they might tell politicians how to message, but they should not tell them what they believe. In that regard, we actually may be more clever than our 19th century counterparts. We have so much more information about everyone. So we are better informed, we might be more clever, but I don't think we're wiser. One of the many exciting aspects of Lincoln was that the uneducated rail splitter wanted to seem educated, more prairie lawyer than country bumpkin. He wanted to be seen as smart because he believed intelligence was a virtue. Today, it is almost seen as a burden. Trump went to an Ivy League school and tries to sound like he was raised in a rural enclave. Obama famously drops his G's, especially, interestingly enough, when addressing African-American audiences. Getting becomes getting, and fighting becomes fighting, as if the Columbia Law student spent his days on the streets. Ted Cruz, a highly intelligent figure, also dumbs it down for his audiences. These so-called leaders are more interested in having the audience point the way rather than trying to find the best path. At least in the case of Biden and Harris, we know it is not an act. They are that stupid. But of course, they are the president and a heartbeat away from being one. Dumb does not castigate today. It gets the laurels. Now in this conversation about are we getting dumber, I wanted to go way back in history to a time in which we had a society that was actually, well, super smart, not just in terms of its times, but in terms of all times. And one of the most brilliant places in the history of the world was 7th and 8th century Tang, China. Those folks had paper, block printing, canals, and civil service examinations for government posts. The Tang capital was the largest city in the world at its time, with a population of city wards and suburban countryside that probably reached close to 2 million inhabitants. The Tang capital was very cosmopolitan with ethnicities of Persia, Central Asia, Japan, Korea, Vietnam, Tibet, India, and many other peoples living within. Chinese envoys of the Tang were sailing through the Indian Oceans, to states of India since perhaps the 2nd century BCE. However, it was during the Tang Dynasty that a strong Chinese maritime presence could be found in the Persian Gulf and the Red Sea, into Persia, Mesopotamia, sailing all the way up the Euphrates River. They were in Arabia, Egypt, in the Middle East, and in Ethiopia and Somalia on the Horn of Africa. The Tang period was the golden age of Chinese literature and art, over 50,000 poems penned by some 2,000 Tang authors have survived to the present day. As a result, skill in the composition of poetry became a required study for those wishing to pass imperial examinations. Chinese goods such as silks, lacquerware, and porcelain wares were coveted in other parts of the world. And technology during the Tang period was also built upon past precedents. Previous advancements in clockworks and timekeeping, including a mechanical gear systems that invented the world's first clockwork escape mechanism in 725 CE. One clock had a mechanically timed bell that was struck automatically every hour and a drum that was struck automatically every quarter hour, essentially a striking clock. 
There were many other mechanical inventions during the Tang era. These included a three-foot-tall mechanical wine server of the early 8th century that was in the shape of an artificial mountain carved out of iron and rested on a lacquered wooden tortoise frame. I would love to have that for myself. And in terms of architecture, one example is the Jumi Pagoda. This square-based stone and brick pagoda was built in the year 636 CE. It stands at the height of 48 meters. It has eight stories and has been well-preserved since its initial construction. Contrast this with Europe of the time. The Chinese capital, the Tang, had, remember we're saying roughly, oh, roughly probably 2 million people. The most populous city in Western Europe at that time was Paris, with less than 50,000 inhabitants. Western Europeans did not have the agriculture or water abilities to sustain any significant population. Their constructions were initially one-story models, and in Britain, mostly made of wood. Did Europe get dumber after the fall of the Romans? Well, not really. A stable governmental system, for all of its ills provided by the Romans, enabled the kind of learning and accomplishments necessary. The Romans had seven-story buildings, robust maritime trade, roads, and aqueducts, the latter instrumental in bringing water to a city of hundreds of thousands. So, one ingredient to a smarter set of accomplishments is not just a stable government, but one that focuses on the right things. Now, until about 70 years ago, the massive changes wrought by the Industrial Revolution were primarily physical, but the information dissemination was still similar. Physically, beginning with the Industrial Revolution, we had trains, then we had cars, then we had airplanes, we had air conditioners, and all kinds of time-saving devices from, well, refrigerators to washing machines. But again, all of that was really physical. But about 70 years ago, something started to change. The Industrial Revolution gave way to the Information Revolution. Up until, let's say, 70 years ago, the way people got most of their information, though, was still pretty similar historically. Sumerians would read information, and so did Americans living in 1940. Since the advent, though, of what Chris Steyerwald, writing in his new book Broken News, designates, though, as something called passive information. And what he's talking about is radio, TV, and then, of course, the Internet, and especially video. This has wrought an incredible change in how we receive information. Before... We would receive our information in the written format. Today, we receive it whether listening, and you're listening to this podcast right now, but more and more what we would call passive, and that would be TV and the internet, and again, especially video. It is the subtle difference between being entertained and being informed. The difference between the generation of ideas, as is the case when we read or hopefully listen, and the ideas provided for us as we view imagery or are limited to 270 characters. Remember those letters before written by Lincoln? How would Lincoln sound if he only had Twitter instead of the ability to fully express his thinking in long-form letters? We are not dumber, yet we approach things in less engaged ways with all sorts of the issues that we face. 
More than half of Americans between ages 16 and 74 read below the 6th grade level today. Video, however, requires only eyes on screens, but such passive media cannot communicate a civilization defined by ideas. Our nation, Steyerwald says, requires written words and a common culture in which to understand them. In the 1830s, new printing methods radically reduced the cost of producing a culture of literate newsreaders. In the 1930s, however, radio, which was more transformative than what it paved the way for television became, Steyerwald says, a passively absorbed alternative to the comparative arduousness of literacy. Now, humans have always craved easier answers. So, is it the sun? Or is it a god riding his chariot through the sky? And some complex issues, like slavery, are really not that complex. Individual liberty means there can be no slavery. But the issues we face today, immigration, massive debt and deficits, aging populations, taxation, trade, crime, the continuance of African-American underdevelopment, and the nature of voting in our republic, all are highly complex issues, and there is no easy fix, no silver bullet. Take a hard line on immigration and watch our labor issues spiral. Cut taxes without cutting spending and watch our debt balloon. Forgive student debt and watch those, including the next group of students, borrow with abandon more and more in the expectation that more debt will be forgiven and somebody else pays the bills. In addition, the way we receive information on all these issues has changed and the sheer amount of it we try to process is nearly incalculable. According to this Frontiers article that is entitled Too Much Information, Too Little Time, How the Brain Separates Important from Unimportant Things in Our Fast-Paced Media World, authors Sabine Heim and Andreas Kiel state, quote, Scientists have measured the amount of data that enters the brain and found that an average person living today processes as much as 74 gigabytes in information a day. That is as much as watching 16 movies through TV, computers, cell phones, tablets, billboards, and many other gadgets. Every year, it is about 5% more than the previous year. And here's the part I really like. Only 500 years ago, 74 gigabytes of information would be what a highly educated person consumed through books and stories in a lifetime, unquote. So even allowing for some brilliant Tong architect, we receive far more information than the smartest functionary at that imperial court. And yet the type of information we receive and how we process it is at a dumb level. Technology, radio, television, the internet, turned journalism from reporting what had happened to reporting what was happening, and now to giving passive news consumers the emotional experience of having their beliefs ratified. By 1983, Steyerwalt reports, the percentage of Americans who got their news from television alone pulled ahead of all newspaper use. By offering a passive, more emotionally engaged products, Television news can be far more emotionally compelling than the written version and does not come with the need for nearly as much cultural literacy or the challenge of internalizing ideas. So given the amount of information that we now process, we are definitely not dumber, 
We are definitely and completely better informed. But informed about what? And is this information all too valuable in making decisions, especially in the case of making decisions about what leaders we wish to embrace and what leaders that we should reject? So let's look at intelligence a different way. Intelligence is not just necessarily the processing of vast amounts of information. We can certainly do that. But intelligence also includes making wise decisions and having good judgment. And in that case, I think we're definitely taking a few steps back. Part of that has been lost with the converting of the written work to passive media. Now this helps explain the difference between those 19th century letters and dumb Twitter. Unfortunately, like our media, our leaders have taken the passive road to intelligence. And sadly, it is paying off for them, but not for us. Thanks for listening to this latest Conservative Historian podcast. Check out all of our podcasts. We have over a hundred of them. This is Bell Avis.